All right. We're going to continue, pick up where we left off in 1 John. So we'll be in chapter 4. Um, I'll read the passage, and then we'll pray, and then we can jump in. So 1 John chapter 4, and um, only six verses tonight. So. so it'll be chapter 4, starting in verse 1. God's word reads, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Join me in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, uh, thank you that we can gather here tonight. Thank you that we can open your word. Thank you that you have blessed us so abundantly by your spirit that we can read your word and understand it and know you. Lord, please bless this time, bless this teaching, Lord. Um, I just pray that anything from me would be forgotten and your word would shine through. So thank you. Uh, We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off with a hypothetical situation. If someone came up to you and said, I have a message from God that I need to tell you, that because Jesus said it is not those who are healthy who have need of a physician, but those who are sick, we know that those who are healthy physically and don't need a physician are not saved. And those who are physically sick and even die from that sickness, well, they have Christ as their physician. Therefore, they're saved. I hope you would reject that as false and dangerously misleading. You know, even though they said, hey, I have a message from God. Hey, I'm going to quote scripture at you. Very clearly, this is not from the Lord. You're able to discern that, apply wisdom to it, that this is not proper teaching. And you would ignore what they said and probably ignored everything else they said about the topic of religion overall. And that would be the wise move. Um, That's a relatively simple example, but what about other examples? How do we know when someone tries to teach you about morality or sexual ethics or who Christ is and how we're saved? How do you know that that teaching that they're trying to give you is true or not? And throughout 1 John, one of the themes we've seen is John writing to his readers so that they may know certain truths, so that they may know who Jesus is, so that they may know what love is. And that theme sort of continues here where he he writes to them so that they may know true teaching, so that they're able to discern between what's true and what's false. And that's critically important for us today is we're bombarded with teachings and messages. I mean, if you think about your normal week, you have professors telling you what's true versus what's not. You have parents still trying to influence you. Your, your friends are probably your biggest influences, and they want you to do certain things and not do other things. You have social media companies bombarding your phone. You have uh, the media itself biased and wanting you to take their viewpoint. And that's not even talking about pastors and religious leaders in person or online that want you to believe that what they're saying is absolutely true. And so 
It's important that we know what's right versus what's wrong in those situations because who we listen to and believe is who we'll become. You know, if you surround yourself with people that just sit on the couch all day, eat junk food, never work out, you'll do the same thing. But if you surround yourself and listen to people that try and eat healthy and go work out, uh, that's what you'll do as well. So by nature, it's a given that we're influenceable. But it's our responsibility to decide who we're going to be influenced by. And John's going to help us answer that question in this passage. And so picking up in, in verse 1, we read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John is, is telling his readers to test the spirits to make sure that they're from God. And so the natural first question we have to ask and answer is, what does he mean by spirits? Well, I think simply enough, it's, it's the spirit is the testimony or the spirit behind a teacher. You see he says false prophets here, that really it's the confession or the teaching that a person, a man, is trying to proclaim to John's readers. It's their message. It's who they're talking on behalf of. And so John is warning and instructing his audience that they are to not just believe anything anybody says, but to test them and make sure that they're from God. This is sort of like when you forget your password for the 10th time and you have to answer a security question in order to reset it. It's what is your mother's maiden name or who is your childhood best friend? The company is they're giving you the security question as a test to make sure you are who you say you are, that you're not an imposter trying to steal someone else's account, because only the true you would know the answer to that question. So in a, in a similar way, John is giving us a security question to see whether teachers, spirits, are from God or not. And that question we can find in verse 2. Um, John continues, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And so we see that the security question is, what does the teacher say about Christ? Do they say that he has come in the flesh, that he is truly God and man, or that he's something else. See, we've talked about this before, but in John's day, there was a group called the Gnostics who they said they believed in Jesus, but in reality, they believed in a different type of Jesus, a, a Jesus that came and was God, but wasn't truly man. He appeared like a man, almost like a ghost-like version of humanity, but he didn't really take on flesh. And John's warning his audience that anyone who teaches that is a liar and that we should not believe them. See, in reality, the testimony of Scripture is clear that Jesus is the God-man, that he is truly God, and that he's truly man. And this is integral that we hold to that conviction because our very salvation depends on it. If Jesus was not fully human, he couldn't save humanity. As one church father says, the unassumed is the unhealed. So if he didn't fully assume humanity, he can't fully save humanity. Also, only a man can die on behalf of humanity. God can't die, being God. And so the second person of the Trinity had to come take on flesh to die on our behalf. Also, he had to be fully man in order to represent humanity. All of us, apart from Christ, are under Adam. We're represented by Adam, and therefore we will die in our sin. However, 
Now, Christ becoming man, he is now our representative. And in him we live because of his righteousness. On the other hand, though, he's still truly God. That only the eternal God, who is infinite and glorious, could die on behalf of our infinite sins. Only the perfect God could be, live the perfect life and be the perfect sacrificial lamb to die on our behalf. And only the God who is stronger than death, who is life itself, could rise from the grave. And so I go through all these. There, there's, there's more reasons why he had to be the God-man, but it's just so important for us to hold fast to that conviction and understand why we say Jesus was truly God and truly man, because it is a gospel issue. Our salvation depends on this reality. And so it makes sense that Satan sends out false teachers into the world in order to somehow teach that Jesus is a little bit less than a man or a little bit less than God. Because if he can mislead men and women to believing that reality, well, their, their salvation is in danger. And so as we think about this security test that John gives us, I think there's a couple practical ways this plays out for us. Um, the first is we very clearly are able to discern teaching that is from God and teaching that is from not, or that is not from God. And so if we listen to YouTube videos or we have friends that say that Jesus didn't truly come in the flesh or he's not God, we, we must know that they are not sent from God. I think a, a couple clear groups that do this are Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims, right? They don't believe the exact same things, but they would profess that they believe in Jesus. And yet it's, it's a different Jesus. It's a created Jesus. And so this test helps us discern if they're from God or not. I, I think maybe a little bit more relevant to each one of us, because not all of us know Jehovah's Witnesses or Muslims, are those that say that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. And this is a little bit tricky because the people that say that are often really kind people. And a lot of them would profess to be Christians. They say, you know, I just try and model my life off Jesus and be kind to everyone. And yet we have to understand that society's goal of bucketing Jesus into the Gandhis or the Buddhas, that category of just a moral teacher, has to be rejected. If someone doesn't profess that Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is the eternal God of the Bible, they, we know that they are not sent from God. God has not ordained their message. And so we have to be very wary and apply this test as we listen to people, as we talk to other people, as we go to church. I think a second practical way this plays out is it really discerns the role of the Holy Spirit um, that John talks about here in our lives. See, the dominant idea in our culture, in the Christian culture specifically, is the Holy Spirit is associated with emotions. That if you have a mountaintop experience, if you feel something at a religious event, the Holy Spirit was really present there. I, I remember I was um, in, in college, I was going to Purdue, and we had a, a summer or a spring conference down in Florida. And there's over a thousand college kids there, band playing, um, lights dimmed, and afterwards my, my buddy came up to me and he said, you know, the, the spirit was really present at that worship service. I was, I was shivering. And not to diminish my friend's experience, but um, I'm pretty sure myself and a bunch of other people were shivering too. Not because the spirit was necessarily extra present, but because it was absolutely freezing in that room. The air conditioning was on, shorts, tank top. You just come in from the beach, and it's like 60 degrees in there. And so rather... Stupid story, but it serves the point of 
people always associate what they feel with the Holy Spirit, except that's not the dominant emphasis of Scripture. See, in the Bible, the Spirit is associated with truth and holiness and right thinking. We see in this passage, the Spirit confesses or it has a testimony about Jesus. Elsewhere, the Spirit is described as the Spirit of truth, the Spirit who teaches us all things, the Spirit who, in the preaching of the gospel, that's his ministry of the word, right? And so when we think about discerning true teaching versus not true teaching, our feelings about the speaker, our feelings about the message has to get kicked to the trunk. And rational biblical truth has to take the driver's wheel. You know, it's, it's not just enough to like a teacher or to enjoy their talk. We have to apply this test, discern, and be wise in what we believe and don't believe. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll say on this point is this test is a test for John's readers. And obviously, it's extremely relevant for us today, right? Discerning what they say about Christ. But that doesn't mean that's the only test you can apply when you're listening to a sermon or a video. Um, I think we need to uh, just apply biblical wisdom in a lot of those situations. And so if someone is teaching something less than the biblical Jesus who came to seek and to save sinners, we have to be cautious. This, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is the form of preaching another Christ, a different Christ. And conveniently, for our filter, um, it often takes the form of using Christ to support the speaker's agenda or the culture's dominant emphasis. So that could take the form of teaching a racial justice Jesus, whose sole purpose was to come and reconcile races, or a, a political savior Jesus, who really just would have associated with one of the two political parties and came to teach us about how politics work. Or there's the social gospel Jesus, who just wants everyone to love each other and to be kind and just get along. None of those Jesuses are the biblical Jesus who came to seek and to save sinners. And we have to remember that as we listen to teachings and make sure that the whole Christ is being preached. Uh, finally, moving on, uh, we, can, we can pick up again in, in verse 4. We read, Little children, you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So John has just laid down a, a tough task for his readers of this discernment, this testing process. And he's given us a, a good security question, for sure, but it's still our responsibility as Christians to discern truth from error. Ignorance isn't an excuse if we listen to wrong teaching. And that's why verse 4 is so encouraging. See, it doesn't depend on us to be wise enough to determine what is true versus what is right. What really determines it is the Holy Spirit God has given us. See, he causes us to believe what's right about Jesus. He causes us to reject lies about Christ. He causes us to hold fast to the true gospel. And that's great encouragement that we don't have to somehow drum up enough strength to hold fast to Christ, that the spirit God has given us, he does that work. You know, it's not up to us to just grip Christ enough and hold on to him. As Martin Luther said, what matters is not your grip on Jesus, but Jesus' grip on you. There, there's an old hold hymn that I think probably a lot of you know. Um, it's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And the, the point of the song is that despite our sin, despite the lies out there in the world, 
our Savior will hold us fast until glory. The chorus goes, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loved me so, he will hold me fast. And songs like that are built on verses like verse 4. They're built on the reality that Christ is so powerful and so kind and has given us his spirit as a guarantee that he will hold us fast. You don't need to be a Christian for 30 years before you have assurance that you are believing in the biblical Christ. You don't need to have a PhD in theology to have that assurance. All it is is the spirit. That is the one differentiator between those who have assurance of salvation and those that do not. And that's just the free gift of the Holy Spirit. So we can take heart. And the reason for that, driving that point even, even deeper, is so clearly said in the song, because my Savior loved me so. That God loved you, Christian, so much that he gave his Holy Spirit to you to seal you. That he is so jealous for your affection and your faith and your love that he provided assurance of salvation. We guard what's most important to us. And so us, as his treasured possession, as his special people that he rejoices over with singing, he guards us until the end, until glory. And so we can be confident that he who is in us, the Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. We don't have to depend on our own wisdom and strength, which is a great encouragement, I think, to each and every one of us. Um, John keeps going, uh, and he, he provides an augmentation to the text that we talked about in verse 2, in verses 5 and 6. So he says, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So I said this was an augmentation of the first test because while not quite as strong, it's still helpful. It helps us discern true teaching from right teaching. And quite simply, it, we, we look at the people that listen to certain teachers as a gauge of the validity of those teachers. So if non-believers listen to a teacher and they love that teacher and they respect that teacher and they never disagree with that teacher, well, that, that's probably a reason to press pause. See, unholiness loves holiness. On the other hand, if all your God-fearing, Jesus-loving friends listen to and su to submit to a certain teacher's um, preaching and, and their teaching, well, that's probably a good inclination that that teacher is preaching truth. Now, that's not a foolproof solution. That's why I say it's an augmentation of the first more solid test. But if we're being honest, if all our non-believer friends love a certain pastor, we should be a little bit wary about believing necessarily what that pastor says if they never have anything bad to say about them. And so as, as we wrap this up, how, how does this apply to our daily lives? How, how tomorrow does this matter? And I think it applies specifically with our ears, not necessarily our physical ears, but with what we listen to, what we intake. I said at the beginning that we're bombarded with messages on a daily basis and that we're influenced by those messages. And so I think each and every one of us should really take an inventory of what we're listening to. There's no neutral teaching. It's either from God or from the devil. There's no somehow third-party innocent teaching out there that doesn't affect you at all. It either brings you closer to the Lord or it distances you from him. And so I think it's, it's really important for us to take inventory and, and think about what we're listening to. Is it truly helping our walk with the Lord? Uh, secondly, 
it really emphasizes the need for teaching in the local church. See, God in his grace has given each and every one of you, Christian, pastors and teachers to guide you in the truth. And this is a, a great blessing to us as all of us need to be taught. And so we need to think about, are we putting ourselves in situations to sit under solid teaching? For some of you, this might be a reality check of, I need to prioritize going to a solid church every Sunday. And that has to be a non-negotiable. Doesn't matter if I'm home or at college, that's, that's mandatory. The verse of the day on the Bible app, a good conversation with friends, those are good, but that's, that's not sufficient. God desires to bless you through the teaching of the local church. And I think each of us has to reflect on that to make sure that's something we're prioritizing. For others of you, though, it might be a challenge to test what is being said from the pulpit on Sunday. Now, what I'm not saying is to be hypercritical and really just, just try and find nitpicking things you can point out about the pastor's message. That's, that's just prideful. But what I am saying is to test the message. Is it biblical? Is it preaching the, the true Christ who has come to die on behalf of sinners? Or is it culturally influenced more than biblically influenced? Are, are there more philosophical quotes rather than scripture? Does the Bible get open to read something at the beginning and then get set aside? All of these things we have to ask because who we are taught by will determine your view on God, will determine your view on others, will determine your view on yourself as well. And so we have to submit ourselves to solid teaching and test that teaching to make sure it's of God. And in all of this though, I think we, we go back to the blessed truth of verse 4 in which he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That the Holy Spirit given to us by the free grace of God through Jesus Christ will hold us fast. It will he will cause us to believe right teaching about Jesus, regardless of whether you've been a Christian one day or 20 years. And I think that's a great hope to hold on to. So we test everything, and then we trust God to be faithful to hold us fast till the end. So with that, I'll pray, and then we can break off into discussions. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your grace that you have gifted us your spirit. Thank you, uh, though we are so ignorant of the blessing, daily, minute-by-minute minute blessing of that reality, that you have sealed us by your spirit, that though there is so many false messages swirling around in this world, causing a, trying to get us to believe what is wrong about you, we will believe the true gospel in the true Christ because of your grace. Lord, I ask that that assurance would lead us to joy. I ask that that assurance would lead us to praising and honoring you. I ask that that assurance would lead us to follow after you more vigorously and ensure that we are receiving more instruction in your word, that each and every one of us would just delight in your word, would sit under solid teaching, and that we would help others also sit under the truth. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.